have you... apparently like Oscar Wilde said when he was going through customs at the US or something. Um, oh no, that was... Oh, they said, do you have anything to declare? And he said, I have nothing to declare except my genius. Which is <laughs> annoying, annoying. <laughs> like, like, Oscar Wilde is the, un- like, the archetypal annoying bourgeois gay. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, he also said... Incredibly um, satisfying though. He carried, with, he carried his book... He carried his diary with him wherever he went because it was important to always have something good to read. Yeah, no, something always to have something scandalous to read. Scandalous, really? <laughs> yes, I okay. did remember that though. Yeah. Sometimes the stuff that I write in my diary, I'm like, oh my goodness, and then Ooh. I realise I actually lived that. I'm not making that up. And I'm like, oh, you trashy slut. <laughs> yeah, I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I also love dumb people because whatever they're thinking falls out of their head straight into their mouth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I have this thing with, like, where I notice if certain people have a tendency to overshare, yeah. um, then, like, I just remember to keep my, to keep my ears open. <laughs> 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 like, something very useful could come out of your mouth at some point. <laughs> Usually if it's in a person, who, like, a person who's in a position of power over me. Yeah. Um, and then I realise that they tend to just, like, say, say stuff. Yeah. Um, then I always remember to be like, all right, just keep, keep my ears open around this. <laughs> this is terrible because I completely overshare all the time. Me too. I think that's kind of what we're doing. That's the, I think that's this podcast. I think that's what we're doing right now. I was, oh my God. I like shout out, shout out to the celebrity super fan. I saw in an AA meeting. Not so anonymous now though, is it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and then, um, but yeah, I said, I said about this podcast, I was like, I didn't know you could get a kidney on SoundCloud, but you can. A kidney? Yeah, this, I've described this podcast to people as my audio autopsy. Oh, wow. Because I just like, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that episode where we did just after your father died was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Dead dad's club! Yeah, I still, I still remember sometimes when, when I was like, and my, my biological father died when I was born, and your father yeah. died, and you're like, yesterday. Yeah. Bye, dad. <laughs> Bye, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Yeah, well, the thing is, though, is also we definitely took a step back because we were actually scheduled to record Slurry on the day of his death. And I came over on that day and was like, my dad died earlier today. Can we record tomorrow? Do you yeah, remember? Yeah, and like <laughs> me, being like the nicest person in the world, said, oh, well, I had booked this time. But, um... <laughs> But I so generously, I didn't actually say that. No, I, you were really I nice. Very, I was very much like, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I actually was kind of even, I think actually you were like, I think actually you suggested recording tomorrow. I, I, so should we I, go? I should did, we do it? Because you were like, all right, let's do it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I think you can take a day to mourn your father. <laughs> uh, it's more than he deserved. Yeah, yeah, but that means it makes it even more important to do the morning properly, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's, I think it's like a much more simple process, like, that when it's just like, this person, for me, it's quite simple because it's like, yeah. I never, I'm like, my, my biological father did all of the disappointing that he was ever going to do for me. Yeah. Like, with his death. Yeah. And so <laughs> after that, he, we, we, it's been a spotless track record. Yeah. Like, he has been 
almost the best father that you can have ever since then, <laughs> which is one who can't disappoint you. That's true. <laughs> it's like, it's a, like the morning process for that is like nothing. So I think there's more, there's more, more, there's like, it's more complicated, right? If you have a complicated relationship with someone and then yeah. pass away. Well, it's messy. Well, I think it's more like when you, it's more like you're, you're walking through your house with like a gigantic smoothie or something like that. And then you just randomly drop it over a bunch of stuff. And it's like, oh, well, I have to clean this up straight away. Versus a more like prolonged mess where you're like, oh, I'll get around to that someday. Uh, this is like your father being alive versus your father being dead. Or... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is a dropped smoothie or like mold in the walls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living with mold in the walls. I was like, oh, I got to think about that sometime. And then it was like, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> smoothie's dropped. I better clean this up quickly. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mop it all up, and then I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Other people were a lot nicer about it, though, so that was quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I, like wow, I've got sympathy because my father died, but I finally got something because of him. Fab. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that time. Yeah, that time. Um, and so this is, uh, like, I guess in other podcasts, like you have like a gentle a dental introductory conversation. A dental introductory conversation. A dental introductory, was said through the teeth. Said through um, the teeth. <laughs> um, a dental introductory uh, conversation uh, to get people into the vibe. And yeah. so us is revisiting the most intense <laughs> episode we've ever done. If you're listening to us for the first time, go and check it out. It's uh, available on all uh, reputable podcasts. Outlets. Outlets. Um, uh, but uh, speaking of conversations. Speaking of conversations. <laughs> brings us to our topic for the month. But before we get into that, I am Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair, Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis. And this is a dental introduction said through the teeth oozing gloop. <laughs> 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 and you're listening to our podcast, Slurry! <laughs> and so, oozing, oozing, let's see how much of this we can do through the teeth. Oozing glue, what is our topic for the month? Well, I'm so glad you asked me about that because you inspired the topic for the month, actually. And the topic for the month is conversation. Conversation. <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Conversation. Conversation. Cucumber sandwich. We sound very English. But, oh, do I sound English? I made it. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I like, like, I like, my class aspiration is to sound like a street urchin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, mister, shine your shoes. Shine your shoes. No, yeah, the British upper class basically just everything vibrates through the gaps in the ivory of the teeth. Yeah, I know. It's, there's, there was a really good one um, where uh, a guy was pretending to be Prince Charles reciting wet ass pussy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so funny because it's going, Witch's pussy. <laughs> witch's, witch's pussy. Witch's pussy. Uh, get a bucket and a mop. It's a witch's pussy. <laughs> witch's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> um, but our topic for this month is inspired by an actual conversation that we had about conversation. About conversation, yes. And you, you suggested it, and I think it's a, quite a funny anecdote because we haven't actually discussed it since that conversation happened. We, no, we have not discussed this. So we've saved it for you, dear listeners. Yeah. Um, what, so, set the scene. Set the scene. In fair backstage of Sophie and Zilla, where we 
layout scene. Yes, okay, so we're in the backstage of Sophie and Zipper. Olympia's just finished their pre-show shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, don't mention that. I didn't do that. A, oh my god! I'm a nice girl. I have a colostomy bag. <laughs> oh my god, you were so stressed every single night about shitting yourself on stage. I, I, it was my anxiety attached to that, which, like, was it's strange. So, yes, what I have to tell you, though, is on the very last night, after you went on stage, I suddenly needed a massive shit, and I went into the bathroom and I did it, but I only got two of the three thongs off in time, I realised. Oh. <laughs> I'm fully shattered on one of the thongs. Oh my god, they're in my bedroom. <laughs> no, they're not. They're in my room. Okay, I gosh. took them, and I also washed them, obviously. Okay. One of them, obviously. Also, like, those thongs had to be washed because I wore them four nights in a row without putting them in the washing machine on my, like, straight-up genitals as well. So you want to do that. So, yeah. yeah, so you stressing about this thing all the time, put, it in the, put that energy in the room that then earthed itself with me, you cunt. Okay, I feel like blaming other people for you shitting on your G-string is, is maybe not the most adult behaviour. I feel like, I feel like if we step into our higher selves, then we can acknowledge that every time we defecate on our underwear, that's on us. Oh my God. Unfortunately, there wasn't really very much underwear, so it wasn't really... Really there, it was more on the like side of a butter. No. <laughs> no, it was Oh my god, I can't believe we've had a discussion about poo on this podcast. I, I... It's called slurry. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you're the one who said for four nights in a row you're gonna shit yourself. Yeah, but not online. Yeah, so I saved the story for online explicitly. Oh my god. Yeah, that's that's I... that's gorgeous. This was not the conversation that I was wanting Luke to share with you, dear listeners. So who is in Luke? <laughs> what, what what is what, I just want to point out, I had like inch long nails on and like six different straps and multiple different underwear. The fact you that wouldn't anything have to be defending yourself, but like, because sure, it happens, but you, you know, you wouldn't have to be like adding this caveat if you hadn't just told everyone about Ah, <laughs> uh, I was, well, you know, every now and again things happen and you just got to get on with it. You know, I was glad at that point that the amount of anal I've done in my life because I was like completely desensitized to this slight smear. Beautiful. <laughs> now let's let's leave that leave that smear in the past. <laughs> what was the conversation that we? What that we was had? the conversation? Oh my god! Do I need to? <laughs> no. I'm toying with you. No, the conversation that we had in the backstage of Sophie and Zala because we've just been doing a show, lovey. So we're both very tired from that. But um, the conversation was about conversations on Grinder. Yeah. And. Uh, we were talking about like talking with people on Grinder and these sorts of things and realising that basically also I, me coming to the revelation that like, if you actually basically go on a date with someone from Grinder and then have sex with them it's a lot better than if you just meet up and have sex with them yeah totally yeah totally. but then also this process of like endless chat in these sorts of things and stuff like that and sort of like that it's very annoying like being in the online world to sort of like having this like chat, uh, back and forth chat like and the same conversation again and again. When Olympia said, uh, well, this is a point where, you know, basically this is a, uh, you have this conversation with them online where you say things and that you said you always make sure that you make a statement and add a question to it so that people can either respond to the statement 
or answer the question and then ask you a question as well. And if they don't ask you a question, you can tell that they don't even know how a conversation works. So the sex isn't going to be very good. Yes. (laughs) What I said. What did you say? Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it was very close. What I said is that um, if they ask me a question, I reply with an interesting detail in a statement and a question. And if they can't respond to that, um, then I know that, like, if they can't respond to that, like, if they, yeah, if they can't respond to that, then I know that the sex isn't going to be very good. Yes, no, but then... It's a question and an interesting statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they, like, if they're just lost, like, just, like, asking for more pics or whatever... Yeah, and I just know that it's not going to be very good sex. Yeah, but you also said explicitly because that's how a conversation works. Yes, and at which point I thought, oh my god, are neurotypical people testing us the entire time? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, hang on a minute, it's just not what you say; it's also the way you say it. Like, whoa! <laughs> it was like stock footage of like someone flicking through an encyclopedia <laughs> in my mind. Like, or it's just the 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 the, the meme of the woman. With the equations uh, and then being like and then being like oh god I've been doing this wrong for years (laughs) but I don't think okay so it's very like it's an interesting thing to go into because it's something that I said kind of flippantly yeah Um, but like it is something that I do on Grindr Um, but IRL um, actually also on Grindr if someone's holding my interest if they're saying interesting things like Mm. like if they can have a conversation Mm. Then, like, then I just mean I think it, um, um, it it it's a very good indicator for whether you will have be able to have a pleasant sexual experience with them. But I think I wouldn't stand by my description of that's how a conversation works because <laughs> there are many different ways that it could work. But I feel like um, so I feel like that's the way that I can, that's the like that's the best that I can do in supporting someone else mm. to be able to have a conversation on Grindr is it's like here are two options <laughs> you can reply to either of them I don't care if you don't answer the question you don't have to be interested in this thing which like yeah like I know is broadly interesting if yeah if you can if you can like if you respond with a one word um answer or yeah like like rudely veer into sex or something like that not that okay I don't mind that um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> depending like, on the mood I'm yeah. in. But like, if someone writes to you and then, and then you're trying to sort of like have an, a conversation with them, and they're just replying with these one-word answers, then yeah. it's like, well, how do you think this conversation is going to continue? Yeah, because I'm doing literally everything I can for it. Oh my god, that's literally the worst. It's so annoying, and it's just like, are you just not interested? It's like, it's like, are you not? You, it's like, yeah, you're not interested, but you also messaged me. So <laughs> yeah, because it's like, if you're not interested, just don't like. Yeah. Don't. But also, I just don't find it that hard to mm. like to like ex- like this like endless chats. I don't really mind because it's mm. just like um, sometimes it's just nice to have a pen friend, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. like, but it is interesting, I think, to go into because like this thing you said, <laughs> uh, neurotypical people testing us all the time. <laughs> but because it's like, I think a lot of the time neurotypical people don't realize that they are testing people all the time. Yeah. That like neurotypical people, like myself included, rely on a whole bunch of um, like cues and assume mm. that other people get those cues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like that assumption and the fact that when, um, when that assumption goes wrong, mm-hmm. uh, like when that assumption is not proved correct, mm. um, 
So like when someone doesn't respond to a certain cue, a lot of us will respond with insecurity mm. um, and think and then be, be hurt or confused because like an affirmation wasn't given or, you know, like, <laughs> like um, and then it's like taking someone else's response very personally. Mm. And I think this is why like people knowing a bit more about like how how neurodivergent people experience the world can be really helpful in terms of not being so fucking fragile. Yeah. And just being like, if someone doesn't respond <clears throat> in a certain way that I expect, rather than like drawing certain conclusions from that, like I mm. was in this story, that yeah. it's like, if someone doesn't re- like talk to me in a way that I um, um, expect on Grinder, then I know that I will have bad sex with them. Like, yeah. because like, um, that's not, that's not something I can stand by. It's like yeah. something that's true. Um, but like, it's a system that I've worked out for myself, but it ties into this logic that if you like that, you, that pe- the neurotypical people take personally other people's different experience of the world. Yeah, that's really true. I think it's interesting because okay, it's also like within, there's also like, it's one of these things where, <clears throat> um, well, we, you know, we create sort of like rules and systems for ourselves because the world is very complicated. And so we actually, to be able to negotiate, and we only have a certain amount of intellectual uh, processing power so we have to sort of like we basically shut ourselves down in certain ways and create certain rules and systems for ourselves which is that like nine times out of ten the sex with someone who can't have a good conversation on grinder is not going to be good but there's maybe one in ten of those times when it would be good but do you really want to have to have all of those shitty conversations and then meet up to find out for like that one that yeah. one good thing you know what I mean so it's sort of like so you just so you like there so it's also as well so then you're or focus on certain other things and then um then you're uh it's the same with in-person things which is someone who also doesn't ask you a question when you're um uh when you're talking and they're not asking you any questions about you is also not someone and uh and this is very interesting because some experiences i've had recently that it's also someone who's just they're not interested in you or something like that as well or something or it's just very they're only really interested in using you to talk about themselves kind of thing now that may not be true uh all of the time but it's something that, you know, it's a rule that we create for ourselves. Like, uh, one of the reasons that soap operas are very popular is because the human brain can only remember about 100 faces or something. So if 15 of those faces are the characters on a soap opera, it means that you have to deal with all this new information, all these different people. Ah, and then you come... familiar. Yeah, yeah, you come home and put on the soaps <clears> and it's like, oh, here's so-and-so doing what... It doesn't matter what they're doing. It's about seeing these people sort of just living their lives again and again and again. Yeah. And it being that sort of familiar thing and that we we learn a lot of this is an invisible education that we learn through the process of school and various uh various settings and sort of in various things we learn from other kids we learn from that and we learn from <clears throat> talking with people also when people maybe share your secrets or something like that you know and you're like ah and you learn, and it's, it's a very violent experience of youth and you learn not to trust any bitch i don't know um <clears throat> well this stuff is very interesting uh but also something you said about this it makes me my sister said that only 20 percent of the stuff that we're communicating has been shown is done through our words like 80 percent of it is done through body language or all these things or the tone of those words or all these other things as well it's been very interesting for me learning realizing how much i do know about all of this moving to germany because it's a place where it's not my first language yeah so or like being in germany um allows a great insight into all the other aspects of communication by speech because i would say i'm very speech orientated and very like uh literal whereas 
something you've described is that we're looking for certain cues and we're looking for certain responses and if we don't feel like there's an affirmation of that so someone doesn't ask us a question about someone goes on a big long tirade about themselves we say something about that and then the Sorry, person what did you say? oh someone say. someone goes on a big long tirade about themselves and then you say something else back to that and then they just carry on talking about themselves again afterwards like you haven't said anything that's like a thing where you would take you take that uh, as some kind of like oh well, you just don't care about me kind of thing but in that part we're, it's, we're kind of having and that also that may be true as well that might be someone who is a complete narcissist who just like is like it's just really ridiculous you know like, I'm wasting my time hanging out with this person like um, but like uh, uh, it's also part of what you said about this is that you're having a conversation with your subconscious and the unconscious mind and so then what happens is that then when someone doesn't provide, you know, because you've said this thing, but really there's this excess, it's not, you're not just saying this thing, there's this excess and there's this expectation that someone else is going to fulfill with a certain affirmation. And then when you don't do that, you feel hurt by that because it's your subconscious mind yeah. that's doing it. And so that what happens then is that's obviously a far deeper and far more internal thing. It's connected also then to it's the reptile brain, it's connected to the body, our sense of bodily safety. And so when this thing that we're expecting to happen doesn't happen, then it can put us into like potentially even a really disastrous, like a fight or flight freeze response, you know, like where we're like, oh my God, like this hasn't happened, that hasn't happened. You begin to panic, you begin to feel panic, all of these things, because it's the subconscious mind that is working in this language of images and that's why it feels so personal and why you take things so personally as well from from what you described there is what i would think about that rather than saying the conscious mind where it's you know the, the the sort of conscious thing where something where and that's also as well why we can get incredibly hurt about things and then when we actually talk to people about them they're like i literally just didn't hear you say that thing yeah as well kind of thing like the, con the subconscious mind but we're having that conversation as well with our sub there's a whole other mind that's there that's waiting and judging as well. Like, is this person going to hurt me? Are they going to protect me? Have they have they signalled the these things kind of thing? And it's like a, a goblin deep in our brain. Yeah. That, well, I think, yeah. That, I think that's very generous. <laughs> I mean to say, I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't feel like um, I've experienced this thing of like it tapping into some sort of danger or whatever, but just like this, like, um, but which is not to like to mm. say that it's not true, but just that like I've noticed that part of learning not to expect that everyone is neurotypical mm. is just learning to sort of take ownership for your own feelings of like vulnerability or um, or, or fragility. Mm. But it's like if a social situation doesn't go in a way that you expect, you don't need to go to the first thing of like some sort of like frustration or aggression, which yeah. then probably does come from it. So like- This is what, sorry, I mean, I mean, sorry, oh, this is, I mean like in an extreme case, yeah, you yeah. might have this sort of response yeah. or it might be because you've reacted some, you know, you've reacted to some, there was a small thing and you've reacted to that. Oh shit, yeah. And you've reacted to that and you've reacted to that and you've reacted to that. Um, and then something comes from it. So it eventually comes from it. Yeah, yeah. It eventually ends up there, yeah. but not immediately, obviously. That yeah. would be a bit over the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, like, and it, like, I think we're sort of talking about the, um, like, the impact that this happens in the mind. Also, maybe we should clarify what, like, what does neurotypical and neurodivergent mean? Because this is maybe not something that everyone oh, yeah. knows. Do you want to define that? Well, basically, I think that it means... It basically means, annoyingly, I think it actually... Ba the it, 
annoyingly, I think it mostly means um, autistic and non-autistic, which mm. is very, I think, kind of shitty because it's like, well, you're neurotypical and I'm neurodivergent, but if you're only using that then to mean one particular neurotype <laughs> in that sense, then it's not neurodivergence, it's neuro, it's, it's autism. There's a reason why there's a diagnosis name for it kind mm. of thing. Whereas like neurodivergence, but then also that I guess, but so I would say that also you could have a very, like neurodivergence could be a very open umbrella. Yeah. It could be uh, people also, because autism touches on many other conditions or there's a certain overlap, so with ADHD as well or something, um, and certain other things and that they, say ADHD and autism both have uh, a lack of the executive functioning Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mind so that there's certain information or sequential understandings about things <clears throat> that are there so yeah but like basically neurotype neurotypical people are hardwired for uh, say empathy for recognizing human faces like this is something like there's something about the the typology of the brain is that it's more predisposed to say recognize a human face and so neurotypical children are more likely to look at a, a human face uh, whereas uh, neurodivergent people uh, aren't and so as a result of increasing science, they can actually diagnose a child with autism potentially even three months now. Or they can indicate that there might be something like that to do just with the way that the baby is behaving in terms of what it's focusing on, what certain other things are. And that's, that's just to do with the structure of the brain mm-hmm. as well. So that's what the difference is between neurotypical and neurodivergent. And lots of neurodivergent uh, people who aren't diagnosed with autism early in life or something, or autism or something like that, and aren't given effective treatment early and it's not addressed, have, even if they only have a very small level of neurodivergence, as they sort of, it's sort of like a a little, a very small slice of the pie in a circle, but if every year that circle grows sort of like a tree ring, then one day that slice of the pie is significantly much bigger than the way it started out. Mm -hmm. And at that point, so... Um, at that point, someone will often end up getting, maybe having certain problems. They may end up even getting sections. They may have a complete mental breakdown and they might get a diagnosis, say being a personality, a borderline personality disorder or something like that. So even though they're they're actually just autistic or they're neurodivergent in some way and not even in a very significant way, but the fact that it's not very significant means that it's been lots of small, you know, they haven't been lots of small things that they might do. Lots of, you know, say if one... Lots of stresses in their life, right? Because, like, stress yeah. stress builds up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, basically, it's like, basically, so if they're, if they're on a scale of 1 to 10, which is out of te- every 10 things that person does, one of them's a bit kind of funny and a bit off. Over 10 years is a huge number of things, and their life can be completely chaotic and all of these things. And it's funny because you can notice these things in conversation with people. <laughs> <laughs> conversation with someone and the most mm. direct thing, because it's very, in, I think conversation is very interesting because also, of course, we're using a huge amount of muscles in our face mm. the entire well, time. some of us are using less than us. <laughs> <laughs> Bugs and beauty or Botox beauty? <laughs> Just after I got Botox for the first time and we were in a supermarket and I don't have eyebrows. Yeah. And we're in a supermarket and I was wearing a mask and then we were just going through stuff. And then then you were like, sorry, I just need to let you know, I can't read anything on your face whatsever because the Botox part is paralyzed. I have no eyebrows, which are there to provide like emotional information. And like, the bottom half is covered by a mask. It was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'll tell you one of the most, I find one of the most expressive places of the face is the forehead where it connects to the hairline. Yeah. And if you want to know if someone's stressed, 
you just look here. Yeah. Like you can't. I'm moving my finger along. Yeah. Sort of like it's where the where where um uh Amabs get a receding hairline. So like on yeah. the sides. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've put a series of tattoos along there as well, just yeah. to like <laughs> like. Uh, so yeah, but I can't move that part. So you must have a hard time knowing. When you're stressed. When I'm stressed because I'm such a cool cucumber. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, it's funny actually, I have a, I do have a limpy stress system. (laughs) A limpy stress system. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Totally. Oh yeah. Like, oh God, yeah. No, so especially my stepfather, like when we would come home, uh, he'd come home and he'd be like, I was told not to talk to him for a certain, for at least an hour because he would always be stressed and then you can do it. But generally you can tell because the thing is, is that someone will not, when they're stressed, they'll be trying not to show it, but they'll hold a lot of tension at the top of their face where it connects to their hairline. And we don't think of it as being part, but it's a very easy way to tell if someone's stressed. And so when I meet people, say you're at a festival and you need a wristband and the person you're speaking, you need to speak to is like a manager and they're nice, but I've seen, you know, this is a, this is a real life example. I've seen that there's like a slight vein popping out. They're holding some tension around there. I make sure that I like, like slow my talking down. Yeah. That I meet them. I say, hey, I've uh, been told I need to speak to you to ask about this thing. I keep it very simple and just very exact and stuff. And generally then that will, um, uh, that resolves the situation very nicely kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Versus if I'd have sort of missed that cue and I'd be like, hey, da, 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 you know, like my usual tone. Uh, <clears throat> I would then add to that stress kind of thing. And I find it's, yeah, it's, it's very funny because you don't think like, of this part of the face of being something that communicates information, but it does. Yeah. 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 Um, cause yes. Cause, cause what we were talking about before you explained the, um, the neurodivergent neurotypical like mm. vibes, um, is that like all of this, like when we were talking about sort of like neurotypical sensitivity and mm. fragility, yeah. um, <laughs> when it comes to encountering people who are neurodivergent is that this contributes to neurodivergent suffering. Like, mm, yeah. that it's like, it's this particular sort of like not taking uh, responsibility for one's, for oneself and sort yeah. of like being really easily impacted when like social um, interactions don't go uh, mm. a certain way that you expect. Yeah. Like, um, this... Which neurodivergent people also do as well, kind mm. of thing. You also have that, that, that personable fragility. Yeah. But obviously they get it a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and it's the, the number one thing that contributes to neurodivergent suffering is social ostracization. Yeah. And, and like, and, and so that it's like, cause there's also this, this, this happens when so, so often when people talk about so many disabilities, mm. they talk about a disability as, as itself as causing suffering, but it's, um, how like a broader society around a person who has a disability yeah. responds to that or like uh, relates to that person yeah. that produces the majority of disabled suffering. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, 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 of specifically, yeah, oh yeah, it's completely, it's the environment. It's the, and I was on a performance art retreat one time and there was, there were two teams of us uh, uh, and there were like, so uh, about 14 people on each or two teams, two groups or whatever you want to call it. Um, it wasn't a competition. <laughs> Maybe it was. I don't know. Anyway, so but if it was, you'd be winning. Yeah, yeah. I think that was it. Actually, there was some tension on this workshop because of that. Where I think the other teams, the other group saw that we were doing something slightly cooler. <laughs> like, uh, which, um, and it was very interesting actually because this is the this actually is the experience that kind of came where the, that kind of came to a head, uh, which I wasn't expecting to tell. But regardless, there was a situation where. Um, but it does make for a more well-rounded story, so great. Um, all 14 of us were blindfolded for 24 hours. Uh, 
and as a group so we had to find different ways of I only managed to last for six hours of this though and I was the only person who I think someone a couple of other people took their blindfolds off but some people went for 24 hours but that was the principle it was you know this thing and um and so we had to find other ways of you know communicating and it was a, it was very early into the exercise to get people to know to to find um ways of communicating and, and ways of completing tasks and all sorts of things and so after we had done this whole day of this whole series of exercises people had kind of produced this whole effective care routine and so they carried on in, in dinner um blindfolded and everyone helped each other to eat and to get food and all of these mm. things and um and it was very interesting and then what happened is then they performed later in the evening blindfolded and it went on for a while and eventually someone on the other team ripped off one of the person's blindfolds uh, because this person was a fucking edge lord, and they couldn't handle that they basically weren't the centre of attention. Like ripped off someone's blindfold. Yeah, they ripped off. Some- I know. They- while they were performing. While they were performing. Yeah, yeah. In this thing, and also as well, it was this bizarre. It also got to this place as well. At one point, everyone was blindfolded, and they were all drinking red wine, and then they started like drumming their hands on the table whilst holding red wine. It was like, it was like, yeah, at the beginning, and it was then the performance was like some insane witch coven of like people screaming and stuff, and it was, and then. There was a whole thing about it where that stopped the performance, that stopped like the... Because it was like a performance, sort of, it was a jam. It was like a rehearse, a, a, div, a div, devising session, if you will, that sort of thing. Yeah, someone ripped it off and they did it in like a very violent way as well. And this person screamed when it happened because they had just had this whole like process, this whole group identity. And so we were talking about it the next day. And um, someone said that it was very funny that basically, and the other group had made a performance for the people who were blindfolded. And they had split everyone up and so that they could and created these different soundscapes and stuff but everyone actually found that very violent because they were like look we've been working together to orientate ourselves and move around and now and they've so they and they said they didn't actually feel the entire day that's the first moment that they felt that they couldn't do something or they felt disabled in some way that, that when they didn't have that they felt sort of I somehow uh that before when they were in the group they didn't feel disabled they didn't feel this kind of like thing and um, and then someone said that basically in, in that moment as well, I realised, yeah, it's very much the case that actually it's the society and the group that we live in that creates disability rather than the individual person's situation. Because all of us, to a certain extent, aren't capable of... None of us invented light bulbs, you know, but we all rely on them to live kind of thing. Like, if you just dropped someone in the wild right now completely by themselves, they would be very disabled in many ways. They would not be able to do many things yeah, they needed to do. That's a very good point. Yeah. It, and so, as a result, so if then that person couldn't walk, it would actually ultimately be completely irrelevant uh, because as long as they could find some way to survive or do these sorts of things, I mean, obviously, you know, if they, they could survive or they could find, you know, it would be a, a disastrous thing. And if there was a group of people and they found a way to work together and all of these things, then it wouldn't be a disability. It would simply be the conditions of life. Yeah kind of thing and like there's a so this is a very and this is what you're saying with this idea that there's you know that there's the individual person and then the group and then the society around that that has these conversational norms yeah and like that there is like there is um a society in a way of behaving mm. that disables neurodivergent people less like yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and that, that, that it's worth people like thinking about that and doing their own research uh, for that so that they can like um, stop putting their vulnerability or mm. their fragility yeah. onto people who don't behave in a way that they expect them to. Like, yes. Cause this is like, I think, yeah. Yeah. 
I have to say though, like also just in the process of AA, there's a fucking lot of alcoholics there in recovery who do not know how to have a conversation. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. And, and but it's been very insightful for me as well, you know. So I'm like, oh my god, this is what it's because it's actually very rare that I meet someone else who talks at the level that I talk at, kind of thing. And then actually meeting it and then being on the receiving end of it when it's at its worst, because people are, obviously recovery is a very complicated journey and, and people uh, go through that. And a, a big part of that is understanding how you have an overactive mind, understanding how you're listening to that and understanding how you listen to other people as well. That's a big part of recovery mm-hmm. and of the process and things and then practicing that. And then, um, and so, yeah, so it's also, it's a process of representation in that sense as well. And so I was like, and also because there's a lot of people in AA with undiagnosed Asperger's. Yeah. They're like, there's a lot of higher functioning, uh, autistic people. It's just, they, they, they tick all the, the boxes, uh, for certain things. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it's very interesting. So then I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe. And so it's made, I think it's definitely made me a better listener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like, and I'm very grateful for that as well. It, it's like, this is the nice thing about the AA structure, right? Cause people speak for three minutes. Yeah. So it's just like, it, like, like, um, cause I'm in a lot of, yeah, I do, like I'm going to a number of meetings at the moment for like different political things or whatever and when there's no speaking limit it's just amazing how long a man can talk for yeah like and it's just like it's it's really quite impressive um and like that's what i love about aa is it's three minutes and it's just like and then like no matter how annoying or intense someone is blah blah blah, yeah like you just you listen to everyone you know that it's going to be over at a certain point Yeah, Um, yeah yeah And it's just great. No, it's great. It's really useful for this, for the, for the process. Also for learning to, learning that you're going to shut up at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And learning to compact your, like your speech into um, a period of time. Mm. Like, you know, it's a, it's a good, I think it's, I don't know, structures like this can be really good at teaching people how to actually in, like engage in a group. Yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. Well, this is one of the one of the other reasons that I'm actually very interested in AA is that it is, and why I think it's very interesting to go to, is I think that it's an amazing structure for activism. Yeah. It is a system of group therapy that has chapters all across the world, that has uh, literature that is written by, by many authors together from many different experiences. It's entirely non, it's never been commercialized. It's yeah, been, no one makes money off it, right? No one makes money off it and it runs, it runs. It's just people helping people and that's literally it. Yeah. That's all it comes down to. And then there's, there's different, there's certain groups and there's, there's certain, to sustain the international structure, there's like things like intergroups and certain groups and all of these things, but there's a rotation, there's a voting system for it. It's completely democratically accountable. There's meetings and basically if you just turn up, there's certain meetings you turn up to and, and you know if you're there you get to talk and if you don't turn up you don't get a voice because obviously you didn't make the effort yeah. um uh, yeah so it's a very interesting structure in that sense as well in thinking, yeah. yeah and it delivers very effective care yeah in these sorts of things as well and that that the 12-step system has been adapted to sex addiction to romance to social media to all these things yeah and stuff and i think that's very it's very interesting because also obviously a huge thing that we have in activist circles is burnout as yeah. well like and that from not having not having structures and, and taking on these things and people yeah. just literally you're just turned into like I don't know fucking Vegemite across like hot asphalt or something yeah. like that you're just reduced to nothing <clears throat> I've wondered at times no I think I just like resented being horny 
Yeah. Times where I was like, am I addicted to sex? But I think I just wanted to not want to have sex. But then I did want to have sex, and I was just found it frustrating. Uh, like the the thing is right is that basically I've never been compulsively sexual. Yeah, I feel like I ooh like I know I think the basic isn't it just being gay? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is what I'm getting to. It's getting to as a like uh, there's a lot of really good stuff coming out right now about um, just people making tweets about how. Uh, uh, I've just seen that maybe maybe because I'm interacting with them, it's suggesting them more to me. But just people saying very clearly that heterosexuality is a sexual orientation, and you're perfectly fine with that. And then there's this, you know, and that this is normalised. And then homosexuality is seen as homo is then is a sexual orientation, yeah. kind of thing. And it's the idea that it's sex. So we we have just grown up in this thing where we know that our nature is to be sexual, and that we are. We are sexy and like we are sexy. Yeah, that we are sexy and that that is something that's shameful. But then it's something that becomes very erotic later in life. And then yeah. you're just like, I as as some kind as the forbidden sex demon that I know that I intrinsically am on my subconscious level because that's what I've absorbed. That that's what you are. <laughs> you too. You too. Yeah. Is <laughs> a good forbidden sex demon? Yes. Oh God. I see. I swear I have the word forbidden across me sometimes though because I've forgotten, like it's been dry. But I like... know I'm on. Yeah, I used to. Do, yeah, I used to do the self-flagellation a lot more. But mm. Now I'm on antidepressants and I don't. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I know what you mean about the forbidden sex demon. Yeah, intrinsically, it's just one of these things, and then we just—it's also as well that then it just like... feels so re- sorry to. Interrupt, yeah, but it just feels so retro. Yeah. Then I was like, oh my god, I think that I have a problem with my sexuality because I'm gay. Oh my god! And, and I was just like, oh my god, what year is it? Like, oh like you know, when, like when you know, like queer celebrities talk about how important it is to express yourself and be honest about who you are. I'm like, oh, shut up! It's 2021. But then I'm like, actually, I think I have problems with my sexuality because I'm gay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like, was... I'm an, I'm a relic. I'm an artifact. You're a relic. You're an artifact. It's interesting actually because it's also I was talking to someone about the process of aging just recently and just and just queerness because like everyone has a problem whenever you're a you know there's always aging and like choosing to accept certain things like the classic one is that you're like oh you know i've got a family now so i'm gonna do this shitty job that yeah. i don't really like because it puts bread on the table and i i it's it's the least bad job but I, I, i'm just gonna do that it's not my calling in life but i'm yeah. gonna do it because i have this thing that i want to do and i'm mature enough to see that i need to do that kind of thing i'm not gonna uh, kick off by that so everyone has that that debate over say hey there's things in my life i don't really like but i'm just gonna do them because of that mm-hmm process kind of thing and so with queerness basically there is this thing where you like have this ongoing you come out and go through a system of self-acceptance of it society doesn't do that like you, you have problems with queerness consistently consistently and it kind of gets a bit worse as you get older actually people are like oh it gets better and then it's like yeah but like it's kind of not very quickly or not quick enough i don't know or it's not and people aren't very nice to old gays no 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 and then it's also as well the other thing is is that basically is that it gets better when you're like old enough to like get out from under your parents and go to a gay bar but then when you're like hmm actually gay bars aren't really all that i'm kind of like here for you're suddenly like oh but what is there where are my queer spaces kind of thing and so there is this it's very difficult because you either basically have to this sort of like you know debate of like am i going to accept this evil that's in my life well, then you'd be. Am I going to be complicit with my own dehumanization and just have like, and like just accept the complete erasure of my queerness from like my my ongoing life um, and the circles I'm in, or do I become bitter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also like t- 
totally fine with the second option. <laughs> <laughs> Although now I'm on antidepressants, I am less bitter. Yeah. But like, I just, I, it's, it's just easier not to think about that. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's obviously the third option as well, which is like, create, start, be, begin to like, uh, like organize and create like circles and systems and spaces beyond this kind of thing, which is the one ultimate I would advocate for, but I'm not in a place to do that right now. Yeah. Like, I think drag does that in a way. Like, because it's it like does. a performance that's rooted in a community and communities uh, as a collection of people have the capacity to, like, um, generate new norms. Um, yeah. And I think that drag does do that in terms of, like, you know, you, you don't need a PhD in gender studies to realise that gender is on pretty shaky ground. Mm. And so if you perform that differently with a group of people, there's this book called Geschlecht anders Denken. I can't remember who it's by. I haven't read it. I've just read references to it, but it takes this idea. I think I've spoken about it here as well. it takes this idea from Judith Butler about gender performativity um, and drag Mm. and then says, yeah, but it's not the individual drag performer on the stage who is the one who's subverting gender. It's the, uh, the interaction between all of the people in that community that do it. So it's the audience also has a very active role in it. That's great. It's a much more sort of like communist friendly take on Judith Butler's sort of like more individualist stuff. Um, yeah. and so, um, uh, like I think that doing drag, like, and creating drag spaces and like places like this, it does create a new space where people can work out what new gender norms they would like to have. As we have seen in like the, like the, the mass outing, mm. um, in the last like six years of drag performers, like we're basically all non-binary. Like oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah, as, in, like, yeah. as in like there was this there like there was this moment just after Caitlyn Jenner's coming out yeah you know the transgender tipping point <laughs> where, um, where um, there was this new discourse around drag queens that it's like drag queens are like problematic and transphobic and sexist yeah um, and there's cis men enjoying the privilege of being able to take it off yeah which is just like fucking stupid yeah <laughs> uh, just fucking stupid because what it was was telling a whole bunch of people who are gender non-conforming who they are. Yeah. Um, which like is the most cis thing you could do. Yeah. Um, anyway, in the years, in the inter- uh, intervening years, we see all of these people have like, have, yeah. have come out as non-binary. They've like have created spaces in which they felt yeah. able to process, uh, process like their own gendered existence. Mm. And so I think actually that is one that, you know, that's a third option. I, yeah. Which yeah, both yeah. of us have kind of taken, right? It's very interesting. Cause I actually have this theory. Basically the drag queens are just queer public monuments. That is, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's they, that? They're, so. Well, they're, mon- they're monuments. So I think, I think as well, this is because also maybe I like used to go out wearing so much shit that I basically was a fucking living statue. But like, um, that basically like that a monument is something that holds space and it's something that reconfigures the visual field. And it is that drag queens are sort of a bit like vampires where like... True. Yeah. <laughs> but go on and explain okay. why. <laughs> so... A vampire is something that is superhuman, but it's also subhuman at the same time. Yeah. yeah so yeah, drag queens yeah. are both superhuman and subhuman. So vampires can like uh, turn into bats. They can do all of these things, but they can't, but garlic, uh, they can't stand garlic and sunlight will kill them. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know drag queens love garlic. Like that's a lie. Like Yeah. In Australia, you always get like a, it's like a kebab on the way home. Yeah. Like, and like you, you do drag, you, you eat the kebab on Smith street. You know, <laughs> you're a mess. 
Yeah. You're a mess and you'd like you and you yeah, you and every you can't smell the garlic because everyone's emanating garlic. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. They, they, so they, they hold space, they, they uh, reconfigure, they say basically a monument says this space is for this thing. You know, there is no statue of drag queen anywhere. Like, and even, there's even... Um, the I di- hope there isn't ever. <laughs> I think, I think, I think like, because I don't really like Because it'd be RuPaul. <laughs> Ugh. But like, yeah, I just, I think we're much better alive than cast in bronze. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, it's it, just it as well. It's like the notion that a statue is a statue of someone is completely ridiculous. A statue is never anything other than a lump of metal upon yeah. which we project our things. But there's... Um, so Unless they're like sexy gay renaissance sculptures, just fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> just shut up. I mean, softcore porn. Yeah. 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 Okay, so the thing is that the drag queens, they sort of like, kind of like, they so drag queens kind of basically also in this process of like where they give up a sort of certain portion of their humanity to become sort of like somehow immortal carriers they also become sort of almost part of the geography of an area or a space as yeah. well it's a, a drag queen is also a geographical yeah, like phenomenon like the smoking room <laughs> the smoke the smoking area of a bar yeah 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 yeah, totally. yeah and then you it's like oh i was looking across i could see the this i could see the that and then there was a drag queen here and the graffiti on the wall like this kind of thing it's like part of this like aesthetic texture and so the drag does have the ability to create that space but also as a it's very interesting because the conversations that we have within drag, if we look at the way that the language of drag has been... The conversations that we have within drag, and if we look at the language of drag and the way that that has changed as well, I mean, like, with with RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff like that, we've seen that, we've seen that change as well, and it's very interesting the way conversation explicitly works within this realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well. I was thinking what would be great is to sort of kind of go more for like, um, instead of like, uh, to go for more kind of like ye olde English ways of um, of talking instead of using like this American drag language. So yeah. like, yeah. so uh, instead of like, instead of like, uh, instead of like, yes queen, you could be like, indeed milady. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Cheryl was doing this. She was, she was, she was saying like, uh, like, like, what was it? It's like, of course, my liege. Of course, my liege. <laughs> yeah. And be like, oh, and like, and like, oh, oh, yonder, oh, yonder fair maiden. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's cute. I would be down for that. Yeah. Um, I thought today, um, that I would. What I wanted to talk about, um. Uh, was not my um, my uh, prejudiced uh, uh, views on grinder conversations <laughs> and, and all of the neurotypical policing that, uh, that, that involved. Um, uh, like I, th- I, it reminded me of this essay by Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm. Uh, in uh, it's in a book called The Wave of the Mind, and the um, the essay is called Telling Is Listening. Yeah. Um, and in it, she talks about how, like, the way that we understand um, uh, communication is largely mediated through our most advanced technology, which is, like, computers. Mm. Um, in case you didn't know. <laughs> it's called the internet. Look it up. Look it up. Um, On Google. Yeah. <laughs> which you'd know yeah. if you knew. Yeah. <laughs> Those who know, know. <laughs> Um, and so, <laughs> that's so stupid. So we understand communication as two boxes, um, and there's uh, box A and box B, 
and then um, like human communication. Mm. And so, and then box, so the, and that's the two people talking. Mm. And so po- po- person one is box A and person two is box B. And box A sends a message to box B, box B like, in, like, uh, like reads it mm. and then sends back another message. Um, uh, but this is, um, this is not how human communication works, she says. Mm. Um, so she says, live face-to-face human communication is intersubjective. Intersubjectivity involves a great deal more than the machine-mediated type of stimulus response currently called interactive. So um, instead of an, uh, uh, an alternation of roles between box A and box B, between active subject and passive object, is that it is a continuous intersubjectivity that goes both ways all the time. So uh, she said, um, so yeah, so that human communication is not, it's far more complex than um, uh, sending a message back and forward. Mm. That's just what the most advanced technology that we can do um, does. Um, So she says her private model for intersubjectivity or communication by speech or conversation is amoebas having sex. so, so usually they don't need to have sex, but uh, like they can just divide into two amoebas. Yeah. Um, but sometimes uh, there's indications that require a bit of genetic swapping. And in that case, they both develop a limb um, uh, and they connect via that limb. And then they swap DNA. They hang out for a while, sending bits of themselves back and forth, mutually responding to each other. Um, and she said, this is how, this is very similar to how people unite themselves and give each other parts of themselves, inner parts, not mental and bodily parts, when they talk and listen. And she said, you can see why I use amoeba sex, not human sex, as my analogy. In human heterosex sex, the bits only go one way. Humans heterosex is more like a lecture than a conversation. <laughs> Amo- amoeba sex is truly mutual because amoebas have no gender and no hi- hierarchy. I have no opinion on whether amoeba sex or human sex is more fun. We might have the edge because we have nerve endings, but who knows? <laughs> so she's so cute. And so she said, two amoebas having sex or two people talking form a community of two. People are also able to perform communities of many through sending and receiving bits of ourselves and others back and forth continually through, in other words, talking and listening. Talking and listening are ultimately the same thing. Oh, wow. And this is like, I, th- I find this really, really beautiful because um, this is not to go into mediated speech, which she goes into later, but like, mm. you know, that's interesting if you're interested in the media. But I p- personally, I know a lot about the internet because I looked it up. <laughs> so I don't, I don't feel like the need to go into that right now. But um, it goes into this thing like you were talking about, and I think you've talked about in the past, that like... Um, it can be difficult for neuro, neurodivergent people to know when to ask a question mm. um, or um, like with info dumping and stuff like stuffing, yeah. like stuff, stuffing and stuff like this. Mm. But like, I think, I think about, it's kind of interesting to view that through that lens because talking to like telling and listening is um, uh, the same. If that's the same activity, which is the, the, the formation and maintenance of a human relationship, mm. then Actually, if someone on Grinder is just like massively oversharing or like or, or like info dumping or whatever, yeah, I'm satisfied with that because it's like it's a it's a communication, yeah. you know. I don't need like also especially when it comes to sexual stuff, I do not need um, someone um, 
fangirling me for how interesting I am because I get that at work. Yeah. Um, and like when that's the, the kind of interaction that you crave, you learn very, very quickly that it doesn't scratch that itch for very long. It's just yeah. like most other dopamine hits. It's like, oh my God, this person thinks I'm amazing. That's so great. But if that's the only interaction that you have in yeah. your life, then you feel profoundly lonely. And yeah. so, and so every now and then you need someone to rub their junk in your face and 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 that does not need to involve fangirling it does not need to involve like really like intensive like but it does need it needs to involve some sort of con- uh, conversation it needs to involve some sort yeah. of like, connection between uh, like the two people unless yeah. you're in a space where it doesn't require that and those are great too but like like yeah. a dark room or whatever but like yeah, yeah, yeah. but like I'm talking like but you can t- let your bodies talk yeah but this is the thing, like what you talked about, nonverbal communication, mm. like that forms part of these two amoeba arms. It's like all of yeah. the information, all, all of the impressions, because we've evolved as social animals to mm. be extremely sensitive to other members of our species, mm. like enough to have conversations with them, yeah. which is like a big deal. There's no other animal that does that as well as yeah. us. Um, like because of that, we're highly sensitive to all of the inputs that we get Um like whatever our neurotype is um, to, that we get from other yeah. people. And so um, that like that sensitivity and that capacity mm. is like, it, that's, that's that, uh, that's the, that's the amoeba arms. That's like yeah. how we trade information. And that's, that's amazing. I think. Yeah. Lol that when you're looking for sex, you're, you're attempting amoeba sex though online. Yeah. You're just like, <laughs> like, this is like this beautiful, and this is like a cruel another cruel thing about humans is the least the less you need sex the easier it is to find just falls into your lap it's true like whenever you're just like oh actually i'm doing great or if you're already like having like like an ongoing sexual relationship with someone yeah other people are like oh you're not interested fantastic would you like to have sex oh my god i don't like i don't understand but it's totally true it's how it works yeah it's sort of like it's easy to get a job when you've already got a job yeah Exactly. It's easy to get money when you already have money. Yep. It's also... To a certain Wait, extent, is it easy to get everything if you already have it? Yes. It, because basically what happens is... Because people don't like scarcity? No. I, there's a certain manifestation thing that I follow on Instagram that is someone who's like a manifestation coach who like... Which is like the most bullshit profession. I'm so glad you said that because... I oh just, my God. I, no. I, like... I, I, that was going to be... It was, that was going to be difficult to tell through listening yeah <laughs> to that <laughs> to th- yeah but anyway go on <laughs> no yeah i was like wait i should clarify this yeah. like no but like i mean like i think it's very interesting because it's like um i do uh, what they talk about in this they they give away certain tips because they want you to sign up for one of their courses like it's very very simple and they they happen to have a piece of advertising that really like it really got me it really got me interested and i was like you seem to, it was something very interesting about it. And then, um, anyway, and they say in this that your manifest, the way that you manifest things is that, and I'm just going to use this language. I'm not necessarily approving this language. It's I'll just, just use it. Yeah. Just, yeah, I just use you it. You gave the caveat already. Yeah. 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 So basically, right. That your there's your emotional, right. Your emotional state, uh, and your emotional state comes from your hormones and your body chemistry and all these things. So it's really important to talk about your emotional state determines your, your vibration as it were and the whole world is a, the whole world is vibrations like we're all ultimately vibrations moving relative to each other to seem solid and other different perspectives are different things so it's all to do with vibrations all these things so when you're seeking something fundamentally you're acknowledging that, that you don't have it and so actually on your your primal state of being you don't have it and that's what you're sending out 
to the world. And so you're attracting not having it to you. Whereas when you have something, you know that you have this. And so fundamentally you feel very secure about this. And so that's then what you attract to yourself as well. So people's, even if it's, and that could even just be as simple as, um, we've all, we've all talked with someone who's being desperate or needy. So, okay, hypothetically, you're at a party and you've got drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And someone who does not have- the bell of the ball. Yeah, you're the bell of the ball. It's fantastic. Every boy is on my dance card. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And someone comes who, uh, who's talking to you and they're like, oh, hi, all of these things. And then they're like, just really, so, so do you have a, can we go and do a, a line or something? And they basically want to get your drugs. You don't yeah. want to go take your drugs. With, you don't want to do drugs with that person. But there's someone else who you're like, hanging out with you, having a great time and stuff like that. And you're like- I've got loads of drugs. Do you want to go and do them? Like, I also have loads of drugs. We should go and do both of our drugs. You're like, of course. But it's Berlin. There's only ever one person with drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a hypothetical thing to, yeah. to, to punctuate through the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's something to do with that. I think it's to do with even, even if it's not to do, it's to just do with the way, with your subconscious things that you send out. So obviously as well, like you're, uh, if you have these things, you're more confident. Yeah. And you feel better about yourself. Yeah. And you're not seeking someone else to fulfill a need. So you're not also projecting a responsibility onto someone else. Yeah. 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 That's true. People. Yeah. 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 And then when I think there's, there is that where it's like, Hey, I, I, I would like us to do this because I need you to do this for me. It's a bit mm-hmm. like, Ooh, that's yeah. not very nice. I want to, yeah, like, and then also yeah. maybe you've got your own stuff going on or something mm. kind of thing. And when you don't understand that about people, you can feel very like, like uh, the biggest victim in the entire world. Yeah. As well. You're like, I need this thing and everyone's got this thing and no one's giving me this thing. Why is no one giving it to me kind of thing? And it's just sort of like, yeah. So, um, uh, that does, that is, there is a certain philosophy that does sort of underpin that. Second of all, though, the thing is, right, is that when you have things, you're not seeking it. And so when you really, when you're hungry, every second that the pot is boiling feels like a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when you're not really that hungry, it's very yeah, easy to walk away. Yeah, that's you know. True. Someone mentioned this um, recently on um, Facebook. They were like, do um, uh, do antidepressants lower your sex drive? Because I imagine that could be useful. Um, <laughs> and I said yes, uh, they do. But they, it's more like they lowered. For me, they lowered my need to have sex, mm. and then that didn't mean that. And that meant that it was just like that. I was only really going to take up offers that were nice. Yeah. Like, because you also said this that it's just like when you're really horny, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have better no. sex. Usually, it means you're going to have worse sex. Yeah. Um, but um so like because it has de- definitely dampened my sex drive yeah um but um i don't think that's affected my sex life because it's like when i've had sex it's been nice yeah because it's like it would take someone like showing some sort of like um basic humanity to mm. like for me to feel comfortable and want to do it and so actually they've been really good for it. So if you're avoiding antidepressants because you're worried about how they will affect your sex life, I can thoroughly recommend uh, going on them because I'm just loving them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on Lexapro. It's the best. Lexapro. I think that is something very interesting where it's important to the to acknowledge that sometimes the first antidepressant you get isn't the right antidepressant. Yeah, right. totally. I've been super lucky. Because mm. um, like... Um, 
Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that I think I like had a bit of a low key anxiety disorder and they it, like, it works really well with, um, yeah. with, uh, anxiety. Well, it wasn't low key actually. No, I had, I had PTSD, yeah. um, but like, um, but it's helped with that as well. It's amazing. Sometimes, sometimes they, sometimes they work. Mm. Unfortunately, not for everyone. And like, maybe fortunately actually, because like, the situations that create depression are, again, uh, like, like disabled suffering are, um, uh, social, mm. like societies create, create depressed people rather yeah. than like, um, uh, like people who are insufficient. Um, but in this case, <laughs> well, what was, what was I saying this in this case, happy to, happiness does reside in a pill. It just turns out that I'd been looking in the wrong pills. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Lol. <laughs> Do you want to know about my limpy stress system? Yeah. What is it? Oh, my limpy stress. So, limpy stress system is how you know. Oh, this is because people have started calling me limpy and it's because you're calling me. Li- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah! I was like, this can be a nickname among friends, but now people people are calling me Limpy. Right, everyone, you have to stop calling Olympia Limpy. You're yeah. not allowed. Yeah. Okay, I will stop calling... I'm uh, your fucking empress. You don't have to <laughs> call me Limpy. Right, that's banned. Okay, it's I think banned. I've, this is like, I could have done nothing more to ensure that everyone calls me Limpy than by saying what I just said. But yeah, yes, no. so this is your system for knowing when I'm stressed. What is it? Oh yeah, my system for knowing that you're stressed. Okay then, yeah, my Olympia stress system is... Well, it's very like, okay, to distill it into the most simple term kind of thing, because I can sort of like, I, it's more of an... It's I'm also bracing myself it's, <laughs> oh no it's so funny right okay generally you make suggestions but when you you're stressed they're instructions oh yeah yeah that's it it's really yeah, yeah it's really because you're normally really nice <laughs> <laughs> about everything you're like ah could we do this or maybe there's this yeah. blah, blah. and then it's like uh there's this but it's like could you do this could you do that and it's very it's very it's very quick and it's very curt as well okay your voice really changes really because you know what yeah. this make this reminds me yeah. of my mom <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think what your mum sounds like. Okay, describe your mum what she sounds like when she's stressed. Or oh, scary. <laughs> okay, 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 yeah. okay. But like, but no, no. Uh, like, when she's stressed, but she doesn't want. She okay. Yeah, when she's stressed, no, she, she doesn't want to be scary. Like, there's like um, the words. A scary, the words don't. <laughs> I have had that that feedback. Um, um, the words don't necessarily sound. No, the words are the same, but yeah, the tone. It's like it's clipped. And, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, just like, can you do this for me? Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. it's really funny. It's like, it's like the, it's when you're stressed, it, it, the sound is rectangular. That's the yeah. only way I can yeah, really yeah, describe yeah. it. Whereas normally it's more of like a, a, like a nice, like doming sort of like <laughs> thing. Like, you know, like it's, it's it, like, it takes more of a space and then it's sort of like, I don't know. Because generally when you, when you need or want something done and, and it has to happen, you sort of like allow the other person to respond and then sort of go, ah, but it would be really good if we could actually just do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, not in like, you know, like this is, it was like, in, in situations generally where it's very much within your you know it's yeah. it's right for you to do that kind of thing and everything but yeah when you're stressed it's just very yeah it's very rectangular it doesn't happen so often actually yeah so it just <laughs> interesting yeah because that that reminds me so straight away of my mother yeah but, uh, yeah but i yeah i think i am a lot like her <laughs> yeah no yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah we i I'm very much like my mum, so I can understand yeah. that that would also be the Okay, case. good. I was sort of like guarding myself, being like, oh my God, I'm going to find out a particular way in which I'm a total asshole, but I'm actually fine with that one. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, it's also as well as when I hear this, I'm like, all right, okay, well, you know, we have a... Uh, 
we've given Olympia a lot. We've given Olympia a lot of aggro over our time, haven't we? <laughs> Some of it quite jolly. <laughs> Some not so much. Let's uh, <laughs> let's not do that now, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> the time to piss off Olympia will come later today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think this is a this is a key to a functional relationship is working out when the other person is in a mood to take your shit. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. <laughs> so it's like one person gets to be a stressed out asshole at a time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as long as that alternates. Yeah. Well, this has been actually quite an illuminating conversation, I think. About conversation. About conversations. Yeah. Which is uh, meta, but as a person with full knowledge of the internet, (laughs) I feel like I am prepared. And just like when it comes to questions about people's that you don't know as genders, uh, any information I need to look for, I can Google it. Yeah, just fucking Google it. Oh my God, literally like... And And also about how to be a better friend to autistic people. Ah! Like it's something that you can Google. It's something I have Googled. Yeah. Um, and it's just like it's just like it's there are like a lot of like uh, like stuff written out there by non non divergent non I'm crossing non binary. Non divergent. Creating something completely completely neither of those non divergent. Yeah. Nice regular normal straight. You yeah. could say. Yeah. Like brain straight. Brain straight. Wow. Oh my god, that's being neurotypical, is being brain straight. Oh my god, like brain straight. <laughs> but, oh, um, he's so these brain straight breeders. <laughs> but you, like, you can actually, uh, like, it is possible to look on the internet for uh, yeah. guides written by neurodivergent people on, like, how to. Oh my god, if I was a terrible person, I would use the word ally. But I'm not a terrible person, so I'm just going to say a good person. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. To, um, mm, uh, let me just virtue signal. Yeah, but like, there is actually, there is help out there for you to make your, like, frag- a social fragility less of other people's problem. And that makes everyone happier. So if you want to look yeah. at it, as we said before... Google it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, as well, there is there is also the situation where neurodivergent people do need to work on themselves and do need to understand these things. But that's like, but basically, when all of society is designed to basically hate and eliminate and ostracize you, that's completely impossible. <laughs> so yeah, and it's also like that 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 bit of advice can go in with the advice for literally everyone, which is yeah. yes, it's important to try and be a good person to the people around you. Yeah, that's, it's important. That's no yeah, different for neuro- neurodivergent people, but neurotypical people can do. Uh, concrete things yeah. um, to uh, to make the society in which we live a less ableist one. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And you know, diversion people don't have to look up their diagnosis at some point anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so what I've learned from this is that if I, uh, the person doesn't have to ask me a question or respond to what I wrote, but as long as they're writing back with more than one syllable, I'm going to continue trying to have sex with them on Grinder. Yes. Oh my God. Fantastic. Thank and you I, for this teachable moment. Oozing Glue. Thank you so much. I mean, well, what you've taught me about what I really want is amoeba sex. <laughs> <laughs> we will be back uh, next month. This episode is obviously a little bit late this month, but that's because we were making exceptional art. Um, <laughs> we will go away and do some more of that. And we will be maybe more on time next month. Maybe not. You're not paying. So who cares? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, <laughs> Like us, share us on your uh, social medias and uh, subscribe and um, 
uh, feel free to email us at slurryspeaks at gmail.com oh my god slurryspeaks at gmail.com uh, if you want to uh, suggest stuff or respond to stuff that we've talked about maybe if you want us to read something out like a response then let us know and if we think it's a good response then we'll read it out if we think it's bad we'll pretend it never happened yeah, yeah. oh the spam filter was strong today yeah. sorry oh, oh, oops <laughs> oh shada chocolade oh shada chocolade oh. yeah yeah Shame chocolate. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, it's my favourite dish. Oof. Oof. Dish Oof. best served brown. Um, <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I don't know what that means. Okay. I know what that means and you do not like that. You like fastidiously clean people. <laughs> okay. Well, talk to you next month. Bye. Bye. <laughs>